Hello and welcome back to Bushwalker's Diary. Sorry guys, we haven't actually recorded much episodes for last few months, so there has been a bit bit of a break. But today we have brought you Dan Slater. Hey Dan, how are you going? Hello, I'm Brian <laughs> So Dan here is a one of the very outdoorsy person I've met. So recently we have been doing some canyoning together. And um, how did we met then? We were doing a canyon uh, at Mount Wilson. I was with uh, a mutual friend. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's right. So I organized a canyon in Mount Wilson called Geronimo. And there was Dan, Nestor and Dan. Yep. So, and then on the day, we got to know each other a little bit. And then I think, if I remember correctly, we did the second canyon in Bangonia. Yeah, I think that was the second time. And you yeah. were the one organized it, and I did. That was a uh, another wonderful experience together. And uh, since then, we have done one more, I think, in Glen Davis recently, last long weekend. Yep. yep. So, how did you enjoy the canyoning in Glen Davis? You reckon? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was pretty cold. Um, Wowzers was uh, yeah. We thought it was going to be dry, but it was wet and cold. So we didn't have wetsuits. But uh, we made it through, we survived, no hypothermia. And then the second day, coin slot was, uh, was dry and really a wonderful slot. Yeah, so Dan is a very extreme adventurer, I must say, guys. Just don't always do what Dan does because it's not always possible, I realized. <laughs> <laughs> he also goes through snow and you are a mountaineer as well. Uh, only sometime mountaineer. Not very extreme in the mountaineering, but I have climbed some mountains up to six thousand, six and a half thousand meters. Wow! And you have some upcoming trips, I heard. Um, well, oh, I'm going to the to the snow for a ski touring few days around Jindabyne, supposedly. Um, Is it coming weekend? No, it's in uh, in late July or August. It's not fully sorted out yet. Yeah, future trips are thin on the ground at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, hoping to go hiking in January as well. Maybe the Grampians Peaks Trail or something in Victoria with a group of friends. Yeah. So just to give you background uh, to the audience, uh, right now we are sitting in an outdoor store. And I'm looking at all the outdoor gear I can possibly. Can right and now. travel on Kent Street. <laughs> <laughs> so Dan uh, happens to work here, so we are recording here in the store, track and travel, and I can see a lot of nice gear, including a lot of nice tents. So probably I'll stay around after this podcast and look at some of the gear and come back. So Dan, to start your outdoor journey, how did it all start, if you remember? Yeah, I guess I was in Scouts when I was 17, and we did some hiking for a Queen Scout Award, but it was very messy, we were inexperienced, we got lost, we got very wet, the tents collapsed, but uh, we did have fun. Um, but then I, I didn't really do any hiking after that for years until the year 2000, when me and my friend attempted to do the Ridgeway, which is a long distance footpath in England, and again, uh, we failed spectacularly um, due to carrying like ridiculous amounts of weight and um, 
just not being prepared. But that was the that was really sort of got me hooked. And from then on, I started doing more and more with uh, less and less weight. <laughs> so I can see there were some learnings along the way. Yeah, that was the big one, hiking-wise. Yeah, I took uh, a full-size bath towel. <laughs> <laughs> On your hike. <laughs> yeah, and I took uh, tins of soup for lunch, you know, liquid. Um, yeah, never again. Um, I'm sure you must be very fit to be able to carry all that. <laughs> well, I was young then, um, but no, it killed me, crushed <laughs> me un- under the weight. Yeah. <laughs> so Dan here is also an archaeologist. Am I correct, Dan? Oh, I used to be, yeah. Um, before I uh, left England, I was an archaeologist. Yep. And how long did you pursue that career for? Uh, or a passion? Six or seven years, probably. Um, it's not as glamorous as you'd think. A lot of it was digging uh, just muddy holes in uh, England, southeast. You know, Iron Age ring ditches, which are basically mud um, filling in a mud pit so you have to dig out the mud and leave the mud behind uh, it could be raining or snowing it's you know all, all year but I did do some pretty cool um, academic digs like I went to Guatemala to the rainforest and um, excavated a Mayan city that was cool um, I went to south of France uh, I went to the Orkney Islands uh, yeah, so there was some good stuff, but all that stuff was, you know, volunteer stuff. Uh, you know, I had to actually um, do boring stuff to get paid. <laughs> <laughs> but you happen to be uh, a massive traveller too, I heard, from your partner, Gerda. Yeah, yeah, I, that's probably my main uh, hobby that I like to do, but it's obviously very expensive and time-consuming. But I've been at it since... Um, well, I first went around Europe when I was 18, maybe, uh, for a month. Um, and that was another spectacular failure because I ran out of money. I was you know, eating hardly anything. I didn't, couldn't afford to go to any of the sites and I fell out with the people I was with. So that was quite stressful. Um, but then the next trip I did, I went to India for three months, uh, India and Nepal. Just by yourself? Yeah, just by myself. Uh, and that was that was much better. That really going to like the developing world really was far more interesting, and uh, that got me hooked on traveling. Great. So Dan, tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Where did you grow up? Uh, how was it growing up for you? Oh, you know, fine. You had a regular middle class English childhood. Uh, which area in England? Birmingham, um, until the age of 11, then we moved down to Cornwall. My parents uh, weren't really outdoorsy at all, um, not particularly big travellers either. Really? <laughs> yeah, um, so I just, that's something I picked up myself, you know. Um, after I'd left home, I, I went to university back in Birmingham, and yeah, my life began to unfold. <laughs> and how do, did your parents take your travel and your lifestyle? Oh, no, they were pretty cool. Um, like when I went to India, like there were phones and stuff, but there was no email. Uh, but I wouldn't phone, uh, except that time I ran out of money. 
but I would uh, communicate by sending postcards uh, every few weeks. <laughs> and, <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, <coughs> I don't even know if they got them, actually. But uh, they didn't seem worried. When I did phone up, they're like, oh, well, how's it going? Yeah. What about travel that inspired you to go to India? Because from UK, it's a very remote place to get to, in the sense that you ha- when you, how old were you when you went to India? Um, it was 98, so I was like 25. 25, okay. So you were still old enough to look after yourself. and Yeah. So was it a bit of a, bit of a shock to go to India uh, from UK? Well, I only went because my school friend got married to an Indian um, and that was in, uh, the wedding was in Chennai and I'd just been laid off from my archaeology job. Uh, just as I had the Christmas uh, and the wedding was in January so I thought you know sod it I'll go and I'll go traveling afterwards wonderful so you have attended an Indian wedding yeah how yeah. was it yeah it was fun yeah. <laughs> very <laughs> colorful it was like a, a three-day event so you know a short one <laughs> yeah yeah that's a short wedding usually it lasts a whole week <laughs> yeah yeah but it was yeah a very interesting uh, cultural experience um yeah, and then I just got on a train and, and went, I guess, uh, west. Where did I go? Mysore. Where, where are you from? I'm from Uttaranchal. It used to be Uttaranchal. Oh, okay. It's now renamed as Uttarakhand. It okay. used to be part yeah. of Uttar Pradesh. Yes. So very close to Nepal, yeah, if you yeah. look in the, mo- Up the north, map. Yeah. yeah, so then I went uh, around there. And I went to Nepal, which was, um, yeah really amazing uh that in fact what did i say yeah no this was before i did the ridgeway i went hiking in nepal that's what really got me hooked on hiking the annapurna sanctuary trek and yeah. how did you approach hiking there did you take a tour or did you no i just was, start walking i was low budget so i was gonna do it on my own i didn't have any equipment i had a pair of uh, uh army boots that i got from a disposal store that i took with me Specifically for the hiking, I carried them for like the first two months. I had um, a big woolly jumper. That was the warmest <laughs> thing I had. Um, I rented uh, like a packamac, like a poncho type thing, yeah. just for the trek. And we were going up, you know, um, and a Perna base camps like over five thousand meters. You have uh, snow you know. there, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it was snow and blizzard and uh, really cold. But I had. Big red jumper. How did the woolly jumper <laughs> went with? <laughs> yeah, it was okay. Like during the day, it was warm, and then we went into tea houses, and they were heated. Um, sleeping was generally fine in my sleeping bag, but above the snow line, it really wasn't good enough, and I froze, you know, half to death in uh, Machu Picchu base camp. Wow. Yeah. And did you go back to Nepal ever since? Oh yes, I've been like four or five times oh wow yeah so if you have to recall one of your hiking or mountaineering trips what would that be in Nepal in Um, any country you can think of well let's let's stick with Nepal Um, (laughs) I've done Everest base camp uh, a few times because I was a a guide or a trek leader for English company oh so you've been a guide as well yeah wow Um, the more I learn about you the more (laughs) I Surprise and amaze. <laughs> uh, yeah, I worked for KE Adventures for a while. So I did a few a few trips. I uh, also went to Bhutan, which was amazing. Um, and amazingly wet 
because um, <laughs> it was September and I think the monsoon was quite late. Were you guiding there too, Bhutan? Yeah, yeah. Oh wow. Sort of trek leader. I mean, we had <coughs> we had guides, we had uh, local and guides, Sardars and yeah. Um, also went to um, Sikkim, um, did the Singalila Ridge, um, I did uh, Kanchenjunga Base Camp. Wow. That, that was one of the more remote ones I did uh, in um, in the far east of Nepal. Yeah, they were all good in their own way, but challenging as a trek leader in some ways, you know, organizing the staff and the client, troublesome clients and yeah, but yeah, it was great fun overall. And what about your job you really enjoyed, apart from the challenges? Uh, just being in those places and you know being surrounded by the mountains and just walking all day. So I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I could walk all day forever. So, do do you actually think you are a bushwalker or a hiker or a canyoner or mountaineer or climber? What do you identify yourself as? Um, Traveler, traveler. Because I do all those things while I'm traveling, and I do them at home. It's, yeah, I'd, I'd say traveler first and foremost. Perfect. So Dan, since you said you identify as a traveler. Can you name some of the countries you've been? No, I can't remember any of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, like in terms of the ones I enjoyed the most, um, well, Nepal is one of my favorites, uh, or Nepal, so probably should pronounce it. <laughs> um, Mexico, where I met my wife. Um, I love Latin America in general. Um, so Peru. Um, Guatemala, there's a whole Central America, had an amazing time. Thailand, I, I really like. Um, in Africa, Namibia is the best country in Africa. Uh, Djibouti was really nice, that's a weird one. Um, Where is that? It's sort of, sort of North Africa, oh. uh, next to Somalia. Uh, very small, but very friendly. Uh, not much to do, but it was just a bit of a weird one. What else? I uh, really like uh, New Zealand. Um, yeah. Switzerland. Love Switzerland. Yeah? Yeah. What did you end up doing in Switzerland? Uh, well, I've been a few times, but um, more recently we did the Haute Route. Mm -hmm. So walking from Chamonix to Zermatt. How long is that route? Uh, like, usually about 14 days. And we did it in 11. Um, there was six or seven of us started out but the others were for a start they they could only go for the first half um so we had lots of fun the first half um with them but a lot of them were like oh we'll get the we'll get the lift up here i don't want to walk up hill and we'll have have some beers while we're waiting for dan <laughs> to walk up with his full pack and because i wanted to do it you know properly and properly yes i wouldn't you know let them take my pack up on the, the lift. <laughs> I had to carry it every step of the way. Um, and they would like, you know, have half days off, whatever. But yeah, I did the whole thing. And then when they left, it was just me and uh, Gerda, my wife. And uh, for the second half, yeah. And that was amazing as well. Just uh, yeah. really nice. 
Oh, lovely. So from your partner, Gerda, I've heard that you actually squeeze, let's say, the hike is a 15 days you end up doing in 12 or 11. Well, you know. And all the hikes become smaller (laughs) and longer days. These distances that they estimate are always conservative. And I I like walking. I don't like sitting around, you know, camping at 4 o'clock when there's like five hours daylight left. And, and just doing nothing, I'd, I'd rather walk until seven or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your day when you go hike. What's your routine like? Oh, uh, well. Starting from when you get up, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Depends how I slept, you know. Sometimes I sleep better in a tent in the outdoors, but sometimes, yeah, I don't. <laughs> but uh, like if it's a multi-day hike, I usually have porridge for breakfast um, or my alternate with muesli with milk powder um, and then walk you know I mean I don't stop very often like some people like to stop for every hour for like five minutes I'd rather just walk until lunchtime you know um, I just yeah I don't get that tired or I never used to when I was young <laughs> um, yeah, and I just I just power on. I just enjoy it. Some people hike for the views, uh, for nature, for lots of different reasons. Um, I generally do it for the uh, sense of achievement and and the physical challenge. So people say, "Oh, why would you do a, a ten-day hike in five days? You won't see anything." Uh, well, that's you know, for, for you, okay, fair enough. That's what you want to do. For me, I get the enjoyment out of doing it quickly. Fair enough. We all get our enjoyment in different ways. So what kind of things you will take on a hike with you? Food-wise, gear-wise, have you changed your style from can can of tuna (laughs) and beans to something else now? (laughs) Yes, of course, yeah. Well, now working in the gear store, I have access to the latest stuff um, and also review uh, hiking equipment for different magazines. So I'm always seeing the latest stuff and always, you know, having opportunities to replace stuff, even if it's not that old. Um, so yeah, my pack's a lot lighter. Um, Food-wise, my least favorite part of planning a trek is, is the menu, planning the menu. I just, <laughs> uh, I just can't be bothered, so. I, is it your partner does it most of the time, or? Um, well, if it's, if we're properly hiking, you can't go too crazy, it's basically, freeze-dried or dehydrated food. Um, like I'm not into carrying extra weight just for a slightly nicer food. I just, it's just fuel, you know. I just yeah, I'm it. the same. Yeah, so menu planning is a pain. I generally buy the same things every time, which is crackers and salami and cheese triangles for lunch, as I said, porridge and muesli. And then in the evening, maybe uh, freeze-dried um, mashed potato, backcountry stuff. So do you prefer buying your dehydrated food or you also dehydrate your own food? Uh, I did once borrow a dehydrator for the Overland track and we dehydrated all our food. Um, that was kind of kind of fun. Well, it was time consuming. I mean, it was all right, but uh, and it was tastier food at the end of the day. But can I be bothered to do it again? <laughs> Fair Probably enough. Not. And I don't have to buy a dehydrator. I 
can't go there. <laughs> and I think when we were camping last weekend, long weekend, um, I saw you had brought some gear to review yeah. and you had a puffer jacket you were reviewing and you were talking about other gear you were also planning to review or you were reviewing that weekend. Can you tell us a little bit about how did you start reviewing gears? Well, I did a, I wrote an article for Great Walks about the K to K, Kananga to Katumba hike. Mm-hmm. Um, and the editor said, uh, if you could just do a review a few things for a page after that. So I, I did that, um, just what gear I happened to be using. And then um, I think he must have asked me to do a review of, you know, like, I think it was boots. The first one I did was boots. So he sourced like a lot, like 12 pairs of boots <laughs> that I had to review. Um, and you have to like walk, obviously, in them for a while. So me and my friend organized a day hike and um, with full backpacks, we carried like six pairs of boots each because they take up a lot of room. In the same hike? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I was carrying like six pairs, he was carrying six pairs, and we'd, well. we'd walk for like half an hour, and I'd get a feel, and make some notes, then I'd change <laughs> boots. Every half an hour I was changing boots for the whole day. And you're making notes. Yeah. And as then, you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that was my first one. I did waterproofs, and I've done tents, sleeping bags. I've done everything, yeah, yeah. in the last 10 years. And I, I'm sort of uh, with the official Great Walks gear guru. Wow. Uh, whatever that means. <laughs> so if you read the magazine, guys, don't forget to check out the column when Dan has been reviewing the gear. If you need any advice, yep. shoot him a question <laughs> through the magazine as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, feel free. Yeah. Uh, and I have to say, Dan, that I'm really glad you were not carrying six pair of boots on the weekend <laughs> on a canyon. Yeah, yeah. Stopping at every episode, can I change the boot? <laughs> I need to review well, it. Yeah, sometimes, like when I'm doing tents, I've got 10 tents to review. I mean, I have to sleep every <laughs> every tent one night, you know, if I can, which is very time consuming. Um, so sometimes I can't manage it, but last time I did. Um, yeah, it's just really, people don't realize, well, the editor of Great Walks doesn't realize maybe how time consuming it is to do uh, a proper review. Um, oh, I hope he's not going to listen to this. <laughs> um, okay. So it's not just the writing, you know, but, but it, uh, the time spent reviewing is far greater than the time spent writing. And do they give you some sort of parameters you have to review on or you just have to give all um, the things you can think about a product? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's up to me, basically. Um, depending on the publication... I get a certain amount of words for each product, so usually I can't go into as much detail as I would like um, because it would take up the whole magazine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, if I have a gear question next time, who to go to? Yeah. Dan is my go-to person yeah. next time. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, I know quite a lot about it. <laughs> and uh, you also, as apart from reviews, you also write articles in the magazine yeah. I heard. So reviews are, are fun. Um, I have a, a column in Wild magazine uh, about sustainability in the outdoor industry. Or it started off as that, um, and it's evolved into a, more of a gear column. Um, uh, and I also do uh, like profiles and uh, track notes. But the most fun thing to write is um, like a feature article 
on, on a hike or whatever I've done. So you can really craft a story with a beginning and an end and make it humorous and yeah, entertaining and informative. And yeah, that's the challenge that I enjoy. How long have you been doing that for? Uh, first articles I wrote were back in London in about 2004 or three. Wow. For a new, uh, a free, free paper, like the Australian Times or something. They were, you know, advertising for a travel story. So I wrote one about a cave I visited in uh, Belize. The cave was full of um, sacrificial items of the local uh, indigenous population, including uh, a young girl who'd been sacrificed and her bones were still there. Wow. Yeah, they're all calcified and, you know, covered in crystals. And was it part of your archaeological dig as well? Uh, no, I was, I was there for the archaeology dig, but this was after I'd finished and I was traveling. Um, but it, it was a, like a commercial trip, but really nice uh, day uh, and fascinating. Anyway, I wrote about that and they liked that and I, this was just for free. Uh, and then I wrote some other things and then I moved to South Africa and did a couple of articles for a magazine there. And then I moved to Australia and um, I finally actually got paid for something, <laughs> <laughs> which was great. Um, and yeah, that was in 2010, it was probably yeah, yeah first time I got paid. And yeah, I've been doing it freelance ever since. So did, was it that you were so passionate about writing and you enjoy writing or other people also start recognizing that they start asking you to do the work for them? How did it all started? Well, from freelancing so. to commercial side. Well, I, was, I wanted to try my hand at it. I thought I'd, you know, be able to do a good job originally, and I, yeah, I did. I mean, if I read the first one now, I'd probably, you know, cringe. <laughs> but uh, it's definitely. I mean, I've got better at it over over the years, as you would. Um, I mean, getting paid for it was a good incentive. <laughs> <laughs> Always. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, but. Yes, I wouldn't have gone forever. You're just doing it free because um, it is time-consuming. It is. But yeah, combining um, the enjoyment of writing with the enjoyment of getting paid is is great. Yeah, it's a great mix. And you mentioned you moved to South Africa. So would mm. you like to tell us a little bit about your move from UK to South Africa? Uh, yeah. Well. Um, well, as I said, I met Gerda in Mexico. And uh, she was living, she was traveling, but she was living in London, as was I. And we met back in London and we got together. And I, I always wanted to move to Australia, um, mm -hmm. but she wanted to go back to. She wanted to go back to South Africa to live. So I said, hey, that sounds cool. Why not? And we kind of had this agreement in my mind anyway, that we would live in South Africa while we applied to for an Australian residency. And that ended up taking about three years. And uh, yeah, and then we came to live here. Whereabouts in South Africa did you live? Cape Town. And yep. I've been to Cape Town, I've been to South Africa, and I found a lot of similarity between Cape Town geography wise in Australia did you ever find that well yeah yeah in terms of um, the yeah the topography and um, the landscape 
which is the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and sort of uh, partially the culture, um, especially among the, the white population, is mm -hmm. similar to Australian white culture. Um, yeah, there were there are definitely similarities, but uh, Australia is far more uh, of a nanny state, you know, <laughs> more laws and, and stuff like that. Uh, you know, this, I mean, I'd still rather be here. It's yeah. safer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, during COVID time, I think we are quite lucky. We are still able to get outdoors and do stuff. Yeah. Other countries are not able to oh, yeah. do much of I that. Mean, for COVID, but also the political situation in South Africa. I, I could never live there now. I mean, yeah, we're not going to get into politics in, the, no. in this podcast. <laughs> but when one of the, uh, you know, the parties, the political parties, the main ones is has a song about killing all white people. It's not somewhere you want to live <laughs> as, yeah, a, as a white person. True, true. Yeah. I think I remember when I was doing a garden route I did in South Africa, and they told us in some of the towns, don't go outside the ho hotel or don't go in that area. So there were a lot of restrictions where we could or couldn't go. Oh, yeah. yeah Safety-wise. Uh, mm. But I still really like Cape Town, I think. I wish I had more time. That's one of the countries I probably South Africa would like to go back to. So Nam Namibia, you said you have been and you really liked it? Yeah, I've been there like five or six times now. Wow. I mean, because my in-laws live there, <laughs> go to his family, uh, there's reasons to go back, but it's still a, a beautiful place and I haven't explored it as fully as I would like. So yeah, I would definitely go what back. What kind of activities can you do there? Oh, there's, there's loads of hiking, yeah, like desert hiking. Full of nature. Yeah. Um, what else? I mean silly things like sandboarding and quad biking uh, I mean a lot of the places you need a four-wheel drive that's not particularly my thing four-wheel driving but you know it's, mm -hmm. it's kind mm -hmm. of fun yeah um, oh, I kayaking there's a really beautiful river the Orange River oh, wow. on the border between Namibia and South Africa you can do like days and days trips uh, paddling down the river what kind of is it clean water or yeah it's pretty still yeah. uh, there's not not really many rapids um not at that point anyway because it's close to the ocean going into the ocean um but there's mm. there might be i can't remember if there's crocodiles there or not. <laughs> as compared to nepal because i did um uh, river rafting and a bit mm. of a river kayaking there and it was full on oh yeah yeah the rapids were yeah, quite it's, it's not that it's <laughs> very gentle flat water paddling in the sun like and drinking beer and <laughs> yeah yeah really nice perfect see, um, oh. Oh. so Dan how many countries have you been well I've been to 114 Wow, that is impressive. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. People might think, "Oh, I can't believe you counted," but when you're getting close to 100, you start counting. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I had, when I was getting close, uh, I had an opportunity to um, go on a trip to Antarctica as a writer, and I was so close. And I thought, "Hey, it'd be really cool if my hundredth country was Antarctica." Yes, I know it's not a country, but uh, you know, it's on my list. So, so um, I actually went to Europe the summer before, 
and I counted the countries that I, I was going to and it wasn't enough. So I, I made like a emergency round trip to Luxembourg where I hadn't been before just so I could get that one in as, <laughs> as number 99 so that when I went to Antarctica, it would be 100. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. I'm quite impressed. <laughs> so you've been to pretty much every continent, I take it? Oh, yeah. And do you have some of your favorite countries? I think you mentioned already. And uh, how do you plan travel? I want to understand. Is it the nature you go for? Is it because some other reasons? And I heard you're a bit of a runner as well. So. Uh yeah. Um, oh, when I'm traveling, you know, I, I like to go stick to overland. You know, just um, sticking to the planet, and I go country by country I look at the country I see what's the highlights you know especially yes looking at hiking and, and stuff like that and um, more, more nature than cities but cities have their place as well I mean there's some great stuff there especially at the at the weekend I like to be in a city because <laughs> it's more lively um, and there's you know pubs or whatever to go to because that's you know that's part of traveling as well. <laughs> Culture as well, I agree. So you're quite a well-rounded traveler because some people I know would only stick to the nature hikes and never be, go, never actually see the cities. And some people only stick to cities. So I think this is a good mm. mix where you get to see the country in each, well, either way. A lot of places you have to go to the capital city because that's where your next visa is coming from. <laughs> yeah, so, and that's where you can buy supplies you know, in West Africa, you know, there's there's one city in the country and you can go to other stuff, but you have to pass through it, basically. It's a transport hub, but also organisation hub. Yeah, so um, especially when you're travelling on your own, um, in some places that's where you would meet other people mm-hmm. rather than some far-flung uh, national park, <laughs> which is, you know, you go there and you're the only person there and... Um, Therefore, to go on a tour, it costs an arm and a leg. So you want to go, you want to meet up with other people, and that's the place to do it. Um, Has yeah. it ever happened to you in any hike? You are the only person. Oh, oh yeah. No, I love hiking on my own uh, if I'm independent. But I don't, I don't like to hike. A lot of places you have to take a guide; it's mandatory. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be the only person with a guide, especially a guide who isn't uh, much of a conversationalist <laughs> uh, you know and you end up like interacting with them as, as a sort of servant and you know that's that's not a nice experience really you try try not to ignore them but there's no sort of language barrier yeah language barrier but also cultural barrier um, yeah so I prefer hiking with Westerners I guess you know um, and it's, it's just because the conversation's easier and, and more relaxed. Um, and they're on the same level of humor and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I like to have a laugh. I mean, I, yes, if I can learn, like in Nepal, I, I would learn a lot from the, the local Sherpas and they, it was really great. Um, so there's, there's both sides, really. In Nepal, you mentioned you were hiking with Sherpa and you were also a guide. Mm. How did you find the cultural difference for you coming from UK and working with the local guides 
was it easy because they are so exposed to Westerners already or had what was your experience um, like? Yeah, they were pretty exposed to, to Westerners because it was their job to, to guide Westerners around. And a lot of them, the, uh, the Sherpas anyway, live in Kathmandu, you know, so they, they've got access to Western culture. Um, I remember on my first trip to Nepal, I was talking to the one guy uh, about music and he, he was like, oh, what do you think of the new Metallica album? I'm like, they've got a new album? What? And I'd missed it. He knew about it before me. Um, so that was good. <laughs> but then you get the, um, the porters who are from, you know, the outlying regions and they hardly speak uh, English and they, they're not used to the altitude and they're very quiet. And um, so you can't really interact with them. They, they have a really hard job. Yeah. They do, and I really appreciate they do it for the rest of the world because they get people to places where otherwise yeah. most of us can't even get to yeah. with their help. So when it comes to adventures, have you ever had a near miss? I'm, I'm pretty sure you would have had a lot of challenges and hikes and canyoning and other adventures mm. you've done. Is there anything that pops out in your mind? Like a danger? Yeah near me where you oh. thought oh I could have died there um nothing really stands out I mean there's times when I thought I might be in danger um there's one particular one me and Gerda were hiking in the Drakensberg mountains South Africa mm -hmm. um it was very remote uh, we didn't see anybody um just two of you yeah wow well we saw some uh Lizutu shepherds um but it really rained really badly and we got soaking wet and we slept in a cave. This is, I'll, I'll try and make this a quick story. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I got up the next day and um, got my compass out and it was broken. Uh, I don't know how, I'd thrown my bag down or something. So I, we had to kind of guess the direction and guess completely wrong. And uh, we walked for a day and, um, well, half a day, I guess. We walked for half a day before realizing we were actually in Lesotho, not South Africa, we're actually in a different country to the one before well, we were in. across the country. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we went back, but um, by that stage, we were not at, we didn't have time to get off the ridge, so we ended up camping on top of the ridge, which is a bad idea in the summer in the Drakensberg because there's lightning storms, Whoa. and you're the highest point. So we hoped there wouldn't be, so we went to sleep in a tent, and um, at some point in the night, um, I was woken up by the flashes of lightning, you know, which I could see through my eyelids. And yeah, we don't want to be in a tent when it's happening. And then it started raining and lightning and we were thinking we can't stay here. So basically we had to get out of the tent. Um, we sat on, a, on a, one of our roll mats and just sat huddled together, getting absolutely in drenched. In the rain. Yeah, <laughs> for like, I don't know, half an hour until the storm passed wow. over. Um, yeah. The lightning didn't strike the tent, but yeah, it was probably unlikely, but uh, yeah, we thought it's safer to, to get out and get soaking wet and freezing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we went back in the tent and um, huddled up. Oh, it was very uncomfortable. <laughs> so that's probably not the sort of danger that you're, you're thinking about. Like, I, I guess I'm quite sensible. I, I don't do things, put myself in positions where I'm suddenly like, Oh shit! Uh, I'm gonna die. <laughs> so you take a lot of precaution and be careful what you do and where yeah. you go. Like I can't think of a time when when that's ever happened. 
Yeah. Okay, either you're very capable or you're very uh, cautious. Cautious, yes, that's yeah, the right word. I, I guess the combination, yeah. And I think that's always helps when you're in outdoors, being cautious always yeah. a good idea to keep you outside the danger. Yeah. I, I guess I've done some things like pushing on, you know, to get to a place that I probably shouldn't have, like walking through the dark and bad weather um, when I shouldn't have done that. But nothing ever went wrong. So I really like when you said you're cautious. So if you have to give our audience some tips on how to take steps to be safe and because last season in Kenyoning we saw a lot of accidents happen. There's a lot of rescue that happened, which is a bit different, I, I, I know. But what would be some advice if you can give to our audience? What would it be? Um... I don't know, I'm cautious by nature, you know, I don't hair off and, and do silly things. I mean, that's not something you can necessarily teach, it's just a way that you are. Um, you know, a lot of, say, climbers who go free soloing die, <laughs> to be <laughs> frank. Um, I mean, there's obviously famous uh, one that hasn't died yet. but. Uh, yeah, most of his contemporaries, you know, or they're not contemporaries, but uh, earlier free climbers are, are dead. Um, but that's not the sort of person I am. I wouldn't do that. Um. So when you go on a hike, because have you ever been lost, or are you always cautious to stop before oh. it gets dark and no, not I've been, I've been lost. I've been benighted. Um, I've been been in, uh, in a blizzard. But you just have to stay calm and, um, and not do anything silly, you know. So what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Let's say you're in the, it's getting dark and you haven't arrived at your destination or you're not sure where you are. What's the first few things that will pop in your mind, if you can remember? Well, if it's getting dark, if I know where I am, that's fine. I'll just keep going. You know, if, there's a, if it's a path, like a, mm-hmm. this shouldn't be a problem unless you're getting cold. Um, if it's a wilderness hike... Um, then you should already have started to look for a place to camp. You know, you might have a place you want to camp, but if you're not going to get there, you know, just camp anywhere. I've camped in places where it's very uncomfortable because <laughs> I was in the wrong place. Um, uh, if you're, yeah, in a blizzard, you, unless you know exactly where you're going and you're confident in your navigation, you should just get your tent out. Stay and, put. Yeah. It's a total whiteout. You can't kind of guess the way. Yeah. I find personally there's one thing to manage your own panic and be cautious, but there's another thing when you're in a group. Mm. So have you had situations where you were a bit annoyed or you were not happy how the things went and you could have done things differently if it wasn't for a group of people around you? Uh, probably. Uh, I'm, I'm very careful who I do go hiking with. Um, because basically I'm selfish and I want to do what I want to do. <laughs> and the more people that are, you know, saying, oh, no, well, let's do this. Um, so if I'm in a group, I make sure that the, the plan is laid out and everyone knows what it is. And I take, you know, the uh, initiative to make the plan because everyone is like, oh, Dan's going to organize it. That's fine. Mm-hmm. And I get to organize it, the, what I want to do. And um, so that works for everyone. 
but also it stops people from ad hocking, you know, mm-hmm. going stuff like that. So, yes, obviously, if you went with a group of people you didn't know and it wasn't properly planned, that would be very frustrating. And I'm sure that's happened to me, but <laughs> you know, probably so long ago that I can't remember. <laughs> and I, I know that you hike and you do a lot of adventures with your partner Gerda as well. So was she always into adventures like you, or you got her into it? And between you and her, who is the one plans and well, thinks what is the next f- plan is going to be no, like. it's, it's mostly me doing the planning but she she wasn't um, I'd say a regular hiker when I met her but she is of the attitude that she w- will do pretty much anything um, and it just took me to suggest stuff and, and she would do it you know whether it's hiking traveling to remote countries in Africa or canyoning or kayaking yeah she's she's very uh flexible and up for anything and uh, i'm very appreciative of that a very lucky guy um but i guess when i met her i somehow saw in her that spark of you know joie de vivre um, Mm -hmm. that i recognized and and that's part of the reason that uh you know we how and how do you find uh Going on a big hikes, adventures with your loved one, is it the sense of worry you also have sometimes if you're in, t- the time you told me you were um, soaking wet, huddled up outside the tent, how does it work when you hike with your partner? Like, are you also worried more about her at times instead of thinking about the situation or you let her handle with that, um, deal with that? I, I don't get too worried about her. Um, because she's also sensible. She worries a lot about me if I walk too close to a cliff edge. It's a classic one. She's like, I, like, I might be like three <laughs> meters away. And she's like, oh, no, no, come back, come back. Like if I could fall over right now and I still wouldn't be touching the edge. And she worries when I go hiking on my own because, you know, you know things can happen when you're on your own. And it's not a good idea to go hiking on your own but it is one of the most enjoyable things uh some of my favorite hikes were on my own um so sometimes i manage to persuade her that i i can go on my own and she worries anyway but like it's it's really a joy to go off for four or five days (laughs) just with your own company even my company (laughs) (laughs) what what goes through your mind to you actually just focus on walking step by step what kind of things go through your mind when you're hiking alone because it's a whole new world hiking alone isn't it um i suppose like i love the hiking like i can think to myself the whole day i can have my thoughts and not get bored um just you know solving problems or thinking about the future or the past whatever um when it gets to camp time i get a bit lonely just camping on my own and eating on my own um, so I just go to bed. I guess. That's why, probably why I walk, you know, as, as long as possible, because that's that entertains me. And when I stop, I just um, then I'd rather have people with me. And do you read a book on when you're hiking alone, or you carry some sort of device to listen to music or anything else? Yeah, books are too heavy for hiking. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just take uh, take my iPod or or nowadays phone. Um, listen to a bit of music. Yeah. Oh, I sometimes listen to music the whole day because that's great uh, 
liking I mean some people don't like music in nature well I don't like it when people blasting music around me but I don't mind if they have their earplugs on and I, they're not disturbing me hmm. yeah I mean I like I love music and I love the outdoors and I'm quite happy to combine the two what kind of music do you into uh, <laughs> you know, more of the rock metal type stuff. Yeah, that's why yeah. you were disappointed. You didn't know which metal <laughs> album had come out, and the Nepalese guy, guy oh, did. For instance, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's probably more than fifty percent of my music would be uh, in that genre. But there's other stuff as well. Nice, nice. <laughs> Dan, you also are a trail runner, I heard. Would you like to tell us about your running? Well, um, not so much anymore, but um, I, I did get into long distance running for a while, but not constantly. Like, I would set my um, focus on a race uh, or a distance and train and train and train and then do it and then just stop running because I was like, oh, well, I, I did that. Um, and then a, a few years later, I'd think, oh, actually, I, I could probably run further. So, so would it be an event you will set your mind on or just a distance? How does um, it work? Combination. Like in South Africa, I got um, in with a group of trail runners. That's where I got into it. And I did some um, uh, half marathon type distance and some really, you know, steep vertical stuff, which wasn't long distance, but it was really, challenging. Uh, really challenging. Yeah, like six hour runs and stuff. Um, and then I did uh, a trail marathon there, and then I came here, and then I did a 50k wild endurance, which um, you needed to have a partner, so I found a partner, and uh, to everyone's amazement, we actually won that. Um, wow. Yeah, so wild endurance was uh, one of those Oxfam style events. Yeah. So most people were would walk it, but there was always a few runners, and uh, the winners from the previous year, uh, they were running. But yeah, we just you know, we just kind of beat them. How, how long did you guys take? <laughs> Seven hours. For 50 kilometers, yeah. wow. So after that, I had a few years off and then I had this idea. Well, I was going to Chile for a story, go to walk with Torres del Paine. And I'd always wanted to go to Easter Island, but that was, uh, it was quite an expensive flight. I think it was a thousand dollars just to fly from Santiago to Easter Island. And I thought to myself, um, how can I monetize this trip, you know, because I, you know, I cringe at spending a thousand dollars on, you know, a few days holiday. So um, I was thinking, how could I do that? And one night I was, I was lying, uh, trying to get to sleep, and I had this idea that, um, you know, I wonder if anybody's run around Easter Island completely the circumference. And um, I thought about it, and I kept myself awake for hours thinking, wow, you know, I could be the first person to do something, you know, and I could plan it and I'd be famous and, mm -hmm. all, uh, yeah, it's, it's rubbish. Um, <laughs> anyway, when How I woke up... How long is the run around East Island? 70 kilometers. Wow. So, yeah, when I got up, then I, I started to look into it and then I realized the distance and I thought, you know, I could probably run 70 kilometers. People run much further. I uh, just need to do some training. It was in a few months, so... So yeah, I booked my ticket. I, oh, I had to secure uh, 
a, a commission for a story before I did it because that was the monetizing part, you know. <laughs> um, so I, I sold the story beforehand for, you know, some money that would help cover the cost of the tickets. Um, and then I trained and then I, um, I went and I, I got myself uh, beforehand a little trophy. Uh, what I did, sorry, was <laughs> I, I made it into a race um, and I called it the Nui Ultra Trail Run. It was you gave the name to the trail. Yes, running. so yeah. it's from Rapa Nui, which is the name of the island, traditional uh, name. So Nui Ultra Trail Run, which is N U T R, so Nutter, mm-hmm. basically. Um, <laughs> so I call it the Nutter Run, and uh, I put it on uh, trail running schedules, um, and I I call it uh, I made it an invitational, and I didn't invite anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so this was uh, so I could be sure of winning the race. <laughs> Because <laughs> I love this track. <laughs> yeah, so um, <laughs> so I, yeah, I got there. I only had two two nights on Easter Island, and um, I got there. I went to the hotel. I got up the next morning, and I before dawn, and I ran the whole way. Uh, it took like eleven hours. Oh, I stopped. I had like three um, break points, and and the first one because I somehow uh, I can't remember how, but I organised for. Uh, Rapa Nui Television to interview me. Wow! <laughs> During your run. Uh, yeah. So. Doesn't it slow you down though? Well, I stopped the the watch, you know, for the interview. It was uh, like okay. half an hour. But you were the only one, so you were gonna win yeah, the race. Yeah, so I was still gonna win. <laughs> and um, and they interviewed me, um, which was kind of fun. And then I just carried on running. Um, by the end, I was like, oh, I was very tired. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't um, schedule the interview at the yeah. end. <laughs> So I, I think I started running just as it got light and I finished just on dusk, which was 11 hours. And I was like, oh, I got my trophy out of my pack, which I was carrying the whole time. And I was like, yes, I win. <laughs> I love this story. Very yeah. creative. Um, but the, like, I wasn't actually the first uh, person to do it because I mentioned it to one of my friends and he went on this website, Fastest Known Time, and was like, oh, no, somebody's done that. <laughs> like, what? But... Um, I did uh, more. This was a, um, a, a girl called uh, Susie who did it, and I contacted her beforehand then to get some information about the run. Um, but my route was more following exactly the coastline, mm-hmm. um, but she ran faster than me. She was a proper runner. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I wasn't the first, but uh, I was the first man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you can get the category. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I love that, creating your own opportunity, eh? Yeah, I look when I look back at all the things I've done. That's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. So, wh- what else would you say you have? Looks like you have created a lot of opportunity along the way in life with your writing. And yeah, the recent one I started reading your write-ups about thirsty run. Tell our audience about <laughs> thirsty <you>. runs. Oh <laughs> uh, well, I'm a member of a, uh, a running club. Um, but they, it's more about drinking and socialising. <laughs> so they call themselves a, a drinking club with a running problem. It's called the Hash House Harriers. It's a global uh, sort of organisation, which I'm sure some people have heard of. Um, but it's, you know, you run like seven kilometres on a Thursday night and then then you stand around and, and drink for a bit and then you go to the pub. You spend basically far more time drinking than you <laughs> running. Yeah. And it was your birthday recently and you had a... A bit of a ceremony for every birthday. Oh yeah, when, when it's your birthday, you um, get uh, a cake, special hash cake. But it's basically the ingredients of a cake that they throw <laughs> over you. 
<laughs> so like eggs and flour and a nice bit of beer all over you to... I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, our common friend, uh, Cheryl, she has invited a friend and it's her 30th birthday or something and she said she's going to bring her a cake and oh. I totally forgot it's a cake not to eat. <laughs> I said cake to throw at people. <laughs> Right, yeah, you want to be careful about I almost that. thought, oh, I'll get a cake to eat. I uh, <laughs> forgot, it's the flour and all the intrigues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, you, if you don't want to be covered in uh, gunk, maybe don't go to that, the run on your birthday. Did you shave your head after your birthday? Yeah. <laughs> With all the flour, the flour and, and the egg on your head? Really stuck in my hair. And, <laughs> I, mean, I, I washed it, but uh, there was all stuff in there. I just thought I'd shave my head. It was just easier. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, i got to be, be careful if I ever had a birthday in that <laughs> run. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, and if you if you go home straight away and, and wash it, you'll be all right. But <laughs> I didn't. I went to the pub and then I just went home and then just felt unconscious. <laughs> so it was like 12 hours before I started to wash it out. Yeah. Dan has also written quite a few books, guys, so let's hear from Dan about his book writing. Yeah, so I tend to write books on long trips that I've done. So the first one, me and Gerda travelled from Cairo to Cape Town, overland, uh, it took five months, and I wrote a book about that called This Is Not a Holiday, because uh, travelling through Africa is not uh, in any way uh, a relaxing experience. Um, and you, in fact, need a holiday after you finish. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my first book. Um, very proud of it. Uh, it's more of a comedy. It's, it's pretty funny. Um, then, a few years later, there's this kind of uh, a trilogy planned. So, back then, we were just boyfriend-girlfriend. Then we moved. We, that's when we went to live in Cape Town. And then when we moved to Australia, we traveled on the way throughout Southeast Asia. And that was the sequel. It was called March of the Warm Duches, which is a German word meaning uh, warm shower. Mm. And it's a reference to travelers uh, who spend more for hot showers, you know, whereas our traveling ethos is to spend as little as possible. And, you know, if it's a cold shower, it's a cold shower. So it's warm shower, it's not the community. There's a separate community for bikers. They can stay oh. at Homes. Yes, yes, that's that. nothing to do with that, uh, <coughs> that website or whatever it is, yeah. No, it's something me and um, this other group of people I met in Nicaragua came up with. Um, and we just started calling each other uh, ourselves the non-varm douches because <laughs> trying to out-hardcore each other at the time, <laughs> you know, we were, yeah, it was a bit of fun. Um, but, yeah, uh, on the other hand, it is, uh, we, we do try and spend... Uh, there's little money because then you can travel for longer. It's a budget thing. I agree. Anyway, so the, the sequel was called uh, March of the Varmdishes. At that point, we were engaged, uh, me and Gerda. And now we're in Australia. Now we're married. Then I haven't written the third part yet, but um, we're going to move eventually to New Zealand and we're going to travel before that. And that's going to be the third book in the trilogy. But in the meantime, I've written another book, which is my third book, but it's not part of the trilogy about a trip I did with my father uh, through uh, around the Caribbean. Basically, 
he was 72 um, and I was coming up to my 40th birthday and we traveled from Cancun down through Central America, across the top of South America and then Ireland hopped across the Caribbean uh, to Cuba. Um, and that was three months, you know, getting to know my, my dad. Um, and that was a really uh, lovely experience, but also traumatic in a way. Um, so I've written that book, but it hasn't been published. Um, and I self-published the other two, but this one I really would like to see properly published. So I'm still trying to do that. Um, Did you self-publish as an e-book or a hard uh, cover? Both. Both. Yeah. Um, so I feel this is a more mature work. Um, still, uh, there's, there's humour in it, but it's yeah, it's more about uh, other subjects <laughs> that I'm not going to give away. <laughs> perfect, Dan. Thanks mm. for sharing with us your books. And guys, if you want to buy the books, you can come to the store. Uh, yeah, you, track and you travel. Track and travel, or, or you can, can order online. I'm sure. Yeah, um, yeah. You can contact. Where me. can they find you can, your I book? I guess you can buy it on Amazon, but it's much better if you buy it on Lulu.com, uh, where it was originally the company that self, that I used to self-publish. Can you tell us the name again? So that uh, Lulu.com. L-U-L-U. And the name of the books. This is not a holiday, and March of the Varm Douches. W-A-R-M-D-U-S-C-H-E-R-S. Perfect. And guys, if you want, you can look up Dan Slater as an author. I'm sure you can find the books. Or let me know in the comments in this podcast and we can help you uh, get a few books if you like. Thank you so much, Dan. I would love to keep talking to you, but I think with the time limitation on both our sides, we have to finish this uh, episode. But I might actually get you on the a podcast uh, maybe again if you don't mind because I feel like there's so much for you to uh, talk about and for me to learn about you as well even today I think I've learned so much about you and I'm quite amazed and more in awe again so thank you so much and uh, would you like to share some last goodbye words for the audience um no <laughs> <laughs> no um yeah uh, uh, stay safe uh, don't do drugs stay in school <laughs> live your life I love your humour Dan <laughs> uh, don't spend your whole life working in a job you know, just bugger that just go out and <laughs> live it I absolutely respect that because I've done that travelling two years but I'm back at job so I probably should heed your advice again oh well you've got to get money somehow <laughs> yeah don't stay uh, working the whole Anyway. All right. Thank you so much, Dan. Thanks for coming on our podcast. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks.